you know, even though some Asian American families have been here for generations, like third generation, fourth generation, um, you know, they still look foreign to a lot of people, and and, and they're perceived as outsiders, and and you know, they get that question like, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Sacramento, or I'm from New York, right? Yeah. No, where are you really from, right? And it's, well, I my family's been here for four generations. Yeah. Um, you know, questions like, uh, where did you learn to speak English? Things like, your English is so good, right? Because our faces don't match the way we speak, sure. you know, in the perceptions of a lot of people. So a lot of that pain, I think, has been stirred up again. You're listening to the Sin Columbus podcast, a conversation for developing strategies and sharing stories as we plant churches everywhere for everyone. Your hosts are Sin City missionary Chad Grigsby and church planting catalyst Jason Phillips. Well, welcome to the Sin Columbus podcast. Uh, this is Jason Phillips, your church planting catalyst for Columbus. I am joined by Chad Grigsby, our Sin City missionary. Hey, Chad. Good to see you, Jason. Chad, how are you doing? Chad is renovating his house, and he's got a lot going on. So why don't you give us a little update? How's the house renovating? Oh, my going? gosh. Where do, you, where do you even start? Last week, I got threatened by a contractor. That he was going to put a lien on my house and sue me. Oh, good. That was pleasant. Oh, wow. We had to go uh, all around Columbus looking for toilets. And when we finally got the ones we needed, they had to be shipped from Dayton. They were the wrong toilets. They were, <laughs> listen... They were bidet toilets. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, uh, this is not going to work, I don't think, for what we wanted. So needless to say, last week was an adventure, but we got a lot done. We got two more weekends, and then we move in. So, Well, I was over helping uh, Chad paint a few weekends ago, and yes. uh, one of my favorite stories to come out of that is we were sitting outside, and they have like a koi pond thing <laughs> or a goldfish yeah, pond. Right. And this girl, we were eating pizza for lunch, and this girl, she stuck her hands in the pond and wiped them off. That was her washing her hands yeah. to yes. eat the pizza. Yes. I was like, you know what? You do you, girl. Whatever. It's yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty disgusting. But let's get back to maybe uh, the topic. The reason why we're here, we have Isaac Sir joining us today and talking a little bit about uh, Asian Americans and kind of the things that are going on in our country right now. And right. so uh, we're joined by Isaac. Thanks hey. for joining us, Isaac. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Sure. So Isaac, can you tell us a little bit about you and your church planning journey and Chroma and all that sort of stuff for us? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So my name is Isaac. My wife is Hannah. We have one boy uh, named Shepard and uh, our church is called Chroma, Chroma Church. Well, we planted um, about a year and a half ago. We started to meet with our core team and uh, yeah, we've been virtual, 100% virtual uh, ever since. Wow. Uh, we were going to have our first in-person service on... Um, March fifteenth. That is a fateful nothing, day. For yeah, all nothing of us. important yeah. happened last year. <laughs> yeah. March 15th. and that date, you know, might be familiar to some people because that was the day of the lockdown, and yeah. so yeah. we had everything booked. We had, you know, um, a room at the Dublin Rec Center. We paid a, you know, deposit. We bought banners, coffee machines, everything, mm. and then uh, less than twenty four hours before our service, we get a call, and then mm. the Rec Center says, "I'm sorry, you know, we're sorry, we're we're shutting down." Mm. And so, yeah, we had to pivot. We had to scramble. But fortunately, you know, we found a, a, a space where we could uh, live stream from our phones because we didn't have any cameras. We had nothing. Yeah. We knew nothing about streaming. Most churches didn't, by the way. Right. Right. Yeah, I think right. it, 
so you weren't alone in that. Yeah, yeah, we weren't <laughs> alone least. in that. So by God's grace, we were able to have a, you know, service. And uh, yeah. yeah, I've just been learning ever since, like, you know, learning about cameras and live streaming and OBS and, and all of that. It's been a, it's been an adventure. But um, we are finally at a place where we're ready to have in-person services. Awesome. So, yeah, after, you know, over a year, we're really excited. So, yeah, we're, we're talking about where, when, how, and um, I don't think it's going to be like a big launch like we planned. Yeah. Yeah. Like that word launch doesn't really mean much to us anymore. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So the playbook is completely, you know, been thrown out the window yeah. months ago. Right. So we're just figuring it out. But yeah, we're going to we're going to open up soon and uh, just slowly grow from there. Yeah. Well, man, you guys did. You just I mean, h- how else do you do it? But just to pivot and do what you did. Yeah. And you guys have really I mean, you know, established an online presence that's very significant and you went from kind of nightly prayer times mm-hmm. uh you know to transitioning to weekly bible studies and things yeah. like that and and it's really been great uh and, oh, and innovative and uh and so i've enjoyed uh watching you guys but what's been really neat is even though you haven't been meeting and i i know we might get into some of this a little bit later in the conversation you guys have been super active with your core team Oh, and yeah. serving, partnering with local organizations. You mind talking a little bit about what you guys do on that side of things? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so we've been trying to be as active as possible, um, both online and in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, we've been volunteering uh, where we can. I think, you know, the Dublin Welcome Warehouse, mm-hmm. that's one place that we've developed a partnership with. Um, we also have a heart for justice and, in particular, human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's an organization in Columbus called She Has a Name. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a sexual, sec- secular organization, but they are run by believers. And uh, yeah, um, you know, we've been working with them to provide dinner for um, survivors of human trafficking once mm-hmm. a month. And uh, that's been really rewarding. You yeah. know, we've actually made some videos of us preparing the meals and, you know, apparently uh, those videos have been um, well received by, mm-hmm. by the women there. Um, and, uh, we've done workshops, we've done webinars and, and yeah, some of the webinars have been, uh, I think well attended. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about the need for multi-ethnic churches mm-hmm. in cities. And, uh, I think we'll get in, into that a little bit during this conversation. Yes. Um, and we did another webinar on human trafficking and the church and the role that the church should play. Mm-hmm. Cause we firmly believe that the church should be not just involved, but leading, um, in in the fight as well. And so, yeah. And on top of that, um, you know, like you said, regular Bible studies and, yeah. and, uh, live streams. Um, we do have a few interesting ideas in the works now. So yeah. Um, not going to make any announcements yet cause we're still working on the strategy, but yeah, some pretty creative things that we're hoping to start in the next few weeks. Yeah. I, I just love the fact that, I mean, I think, I think a lot of guys, uh, when COVID happened, could you could have just said, ah, we'll just wait it out, sit on our hands. But you guys have been so proactive, not only what you've done online, but then in the city, and you haven't sat on your hands. You've been really active. And isn't your wife, Hannah, on the board now that she has a name? Is oh, that yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just amazing what's happened in the last few months with you guys and all the Lord's used you to do. So I mean, really I think cool. it's, it's all God's favor. Yeah. I mean, we really yeah. do believe, you know, there's that saying that uh, when you take care of what what's on God's heart, God mm-hmm. will take care of what's on your heart. And yeah. yeah, we just, every day we're just asking, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to serve? And God has opened doors and he's provided 
funding and great people, yeah. great connections like you guys. So we're <laughs> well, really thankful that. for. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> not can't Chad. Win, you can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today is we talked about one of those webinars uh, or maybe in-person kind of seminar workshop mm-hmm. uh, is around uh, Asians in our country, uh, not just Asian Americans, I guess, but Asian Americans, but also just mm-hmm. uh, immigrants uh, from Asian countries in our in our country, and kind of the you got the coronavirus, which has you know uh, been kind of a, a stigma with Asians yeah. and 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 um, Asian Americans and Asian folk people who have been the the target of a lot of attacks, verbal yeah. attacks, and others, and then recently. Uh, what happened in Atlanta with the massage parlors and things right. like that. So we talked about doing something, some kind of workshop. And and so that's still, I think, in the works. But we wanted to have you on today now in this moment because we feel like it's an important conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, how how has COVID and, and the recent activities that's happened in our country affected you and do you think other Asians, Asian Americans? Because I know you're—I don't know how you consider yourself because you're Canadian, right? Originally, I am. I, I am, um, yeah, Canadian, but I became a U.S. citizen. Okay. You know? So I, I can say that I am a Korean, Asian, um, yeah. Korean American. Okay. Yeah. You know, you don't as a as a non-person of color, right? You know, sometimes you look at it and go. I don't know. Is that Korean, Canadian, American, <laughs> Asian, American? How do Something you, like that. So, yeah. so, so help us, you know, a little bit work that out and, and tell us what's, what you see yeah. uh, happening. And stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. I think we could probably just talk about that for you can, you yeah, that out we 10 have? minutes, right? <laughs> 10 minutes, yeah. right? It's easy. Um, so personally, you know, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, personally I haven't experienced any attacks and, you know, in our inner circle, we haven't heard uh, too many, um, you know, things going on. So I think, uh, yeah, Columbus, I'm not sure how how much of a problem it is here. I'm sure it is an issue here. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. There's been a huge spike in uh, anti-Asian sentiment and, mm-hmm. you know, Asian um, hate crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the conservative side, I've, I've read uh, at least a 150% increase from last mm-hmm. year. But that's only the stuff that's been reported. And so when you look at other um, statistics, uh, it can go as high as 2,000% increase. Oh yeah, so, so there really is kind of a sense of fear that's gripping uh, the Asian-American community. Um, and I think it's most prevalent you know, on the coast and L.A. and New York. That's where most of the stories are coming out. But any kind of metropolitan center, you're going to have this, this, uh, this dynamic so yeah, there's this um, sense of fear. There's this, you know, pain that's being dredged up all over again. You know, one thing that the Asian American community has always felt, and it's been so long that it shouldn't be this way, but you know, we've always felt like outsiders. Mm. We've always felt like there's this term, um, you know, perpetual foreigner. Mm. Um, and so, you know, even though some Asian American families have been here for generations, like third generation, fourth generation. Um, you know, they still look foreign to a lot of people and, and, and they're perceived as outsiders and, and, you know, they get that question like, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Sacramento or I'm from yeah. New York, right? Yeah. No, where are you really from? Right. And well, I, my family's been here for four generations. Yeah. Um, 
you know, questions like, uh, where did you learn to speak English? Things like, your English is so good, right? Because our faces don't match the way we speak, sure. you know, in the perceptions of a lot of people. So a lot of that pain, I think, has been stirred up again. Mm-hmm. And just feeling like outsiders, that, um, that just being heightened. And so, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. But in a way, I'm thankful as well. Because, you know, just like the, the pandemic has revealed a lot of problems and a lot of things that need to be addressed. Um, I think this is one of them. And so, yeah, you know, there's um, an issue of xenophobia. There's an issue of scapegoating. Mm. You know, those are real issues that are fueling, in my view, um, xenophobia and scapegoating is fueling this rise in anti-Asian sentiment at the moment. Kind of break those two things down by what you exactly mean by uh, xenophobia and scapegoating. Okay, well, you know, um, people like to point fingers and assign blame, right? And so uh, a lot of people are asking, you know, who, who's at fault for COVID-19? Mm. And, you know, um, I think the, the general consensus is that it, it re- originated in China, in the Wuhan, you know, area. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's fine. I think that's just a, probably a fact. But the way that it's been politicized and mm-hmm. the way that it's been spun and... Um, you know, not to name names or anything, but, you know, there are certain groups and certain factions that really want to just point the finger and assign blame. Um, I guess it makes them, you know, feel better or, you know, kind of absolves them of guilt or responsibility. And um, so I think there's, there's a reason why people do that. But then I wonder if they're thinking through the the uh, unintended unintended consequences of that, the ramifications right. of that, right? right? Like, yeah, you can point at China and you can say it's their fault, but when you have this issue of, you know, perceptions of Asian Americans and them being like, you know, perpetual foreigners, mm-hmm. you know, some of that water that you're splashing is going to get on on us as well. And you, you, if you're if you're slinging mud, it's going to get not just on the people that you're you're targeting, but it's going to get on others as well, and that's yeah. that's what's happening. So some of that mud, some of that blame, is unfortunately falling on the Asian American community, mm. who really have nothing to do with the origins of COVID, right? Right. But just because of the way we look and the way we speak, maybe our last names, mm. you know, just our places of origin, you know, we get associated uh, wrongly with that, and and then people are angry. I think that's the other thing, right? So the thing with scapegoating is people, when they're angry and when they're hurt, it's not rational, but they want to blame someone. Mm. It brings some level of comfort to be able to say, hey, there's my enemy or there's that person that I can uh, focus my my anger, my frustration on. And then it just kind of comes out. I think it really is an expression of the you know flesh and, and the sinful nature of man. Um, and so, yeah, people are just hurt, angry, and um, they think it's going to bring them comfort to, to blame. And unfortunately, some people actually act on that. Mm. I think most people don't act on it, right? You know, because yeah. they know better. But uh, there are people who are just really not in control of their emotions, and and they act on it, and that's what you know leads to things like the Atlanta shootings. Mm. You know, so, um, so there's that, and the. The xenophobia, you know, I think that's probably something I don't want to talk about as much because that's a really deep issue and sure. different views on that. But, you know, I think nationalism, if there's one thing I could say, mm-hmm. 
you know, nationalism is a concern, mm-hmm. right? And so when you, you know, have this philosophy of America first, we got to ask yourself, well, who's included in that? Mm. Who are the Americans, right? Mm. And again, I mean, if we're talking strictly about like, you know, who are Americans, like it should include everyone who's an American, right? right. Everyone, right. N- you know, no matter your skin color, no matter your country of origin, if you're mm. an American, you're an American and right. it should be you first. You're included in that America first. Mm-hmm. But that's where the problems of perception come in. And for some people, America first means, you know, Caucasian Americans or people who look like they're from European um, mm-hmm. descent and and people who don't look like that are kind of excluded. And so that's where the xenophobia kind of kicks in as well. Man, I feel like I've already learned so much just in this, yeah. that from that question, that, that term perpetual foreigner is that what you use yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah perpetual foreigner is one term that's um, a big term in asian sociology and the other one is model minority and that's another big term that Mm -hmm. needs to be you know i I don't know how much that applies to this case right here but that's another big term Yeah, yeah well i think that i mean i think having the understanding of that helps you to have so much more compassion for just the grief and the trauma that these that Asian Americans are experiencing yeah. that we wouldn't be able to understand because we don't have to experience that. Um, and so kind of in, in that vein, what do you think the church's role is in terms of racial reconciliation, not just for Asian Americans, but for African Americans and any other uh, nationalities? Right. Absolutely. I mean, um, just like I said earlier about human trafficking, I believe that the church needs to take a leading role in that. It's the exact same thing when it comes to racial reconciliation. The church has to take a leading role in this. And, uh, you know, personally, I get kind of bothered when I see the world taking the Mm. lead in certain areas. You know, like when the world is doing a better job in administrating God's justice on the earth than Mm. the church, I get bothered by that. Yeah, And I feel, that's why I feel passionately about this. And, you know, part of the reason we want a church plant is to help, you know, mobilize our brothers and sisters. Um, You know, we're not we're not pointing fingers and we're not trying to blame anyone, but I I think there needs to be greater awareness and there needs to be just um, a greater intentionality in dealing with this. So, you know, um, the world does not have good reasons to, um, they don't have like the mandate that the church does Mm, to, to pursue justice. When they, when they pursue justice, they're doing it, uh, they're going above and beyond their ethical mandate. Right. Mm. Because, you know, like if you don't believe in God or if you don't have a moral foundation, you know, it makes sense to just live for yourself. Right. And so I'm impressed when I see non-believers and I see, you know, corporations, um, you know, my wife works at Nationwide and, you know, they talk seriously about ra- racial reconciliation at Nationwide. You know, they're a, they're an insurance company, yeah. but you know, like I, I hear their, their meetings and they're talking about like, how can we promote justice? How can we promote, you know, racial equality and, and reconciliation? They talk about it all the time. And I just don't know how often the church is having those conversations. I know we talk about it occasionally when we have, um, you know, uh, gatherings and conferences. And I really appreciate that. I like um, the, the SBC's approach, you know, they're, they're not hiding this. You know, the last couple Sen gathering, you know, um, gatherings, we've we've talked about that head on. So I really do appreciate that. Um, but yeah, just talking about the church. I mean, you look at Galatians 
you know, chapter three, talking, you know, Peter and Paul and their conflict and how Peter tried to withdraw from the Jews, uh, sorry, from the Gentiles because of, you know, fear of the Jews. And I think there's so much we can learn there. Revelation chapter seven, talking about the, the great multitude that's going to, you know, worship God forever together, right? From every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That's our vision. That's mm-hmm. our mandate. Right. And, you know, the, 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 the gospel is about tearing walls of, of division, you know, those walls of hostility. Um, that's what the gospel is. Right. And, you know, so for me, I think every spiritual truth uh, just needs to be lived out in some kind of a, a practical way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, what can the church do? Um, I think definitely teach on it, preach on it as much as possible and pursue opportunities to do things together you know, reach across racial lines, ethnic lines, and just form greater partnerships and friendships and, and, uh, in, and include those who have, you know, been excluded, um, especially racial minorities, right? Just, you know, um, include them in, in, the, in the greater workings of the church. And, mm. you know, I think that's a start. Um, yeah. Yeah. Isaac, why do you think the church is reluctant to lead in racial reconciliation, you know, you said that oh, kind of said question. that. What what is the hesitation? Is it? Yeah. What what do you, what do you see? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's very multifaceted. So, uh, some of the things that come to mind. First thing is comfort, right? Like we all like to just kind of withdraw and be in our comfort zone, be in our bubbles, right? Whether it's a Christian bubble or it can be an ethic, uh, ethnic bubble. It could be a racial bubble as well, right? Um, and we're all guilty of this. I mean, it's not like it's only Caucasian people who do that. People of color do it too, right? I, I'm speaking from a Korean-American perspective, and we're notorious for that. Koreans really keep to themselves, Right. Um, most Korean Americans, uh, when they look for a church, they look for a Korean church. Mm. They, they don't go out, you know, by and large to go to a multi-ethnic church or a white majority church. So, um, yeah, that's definitely one thing that, um, prevents us from addressing this. It's just that we're just comfortable in our own silos. Mm. Um, the other thing would be fear. And I think that there is this kind of this atmosphere of political correctness and sensitivity yep. that is keeping everyone on edge mm-hmm. and everyone's being called a racist these days. You know, like you could say the most innocent, harmless thing. You had no racist intention behind it, but if it's, you know, perceived as having just even the slightest hint of bias or prejudice or, you know, old fashioned way of thinking, then you're labeled a racist. And, um, and I mean, it could be canceled or yeah. Yeah, cancel culture. I mean, that's yeah, whatever. That's I mean, yeah. If you want to put a term to it, it's it's this cancel culture where you know uh, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a celebrity or you could just be a regular guy on Twitter, and you just say or tweet the wrong thing, and it could have major ramif- ramifications for your life. Mm. So I think that's another thing that's just keeping people skittish and uh, and afraid, right? Because let's let's be honest, talking about race is one of the most difficult topics there is right? It's one of the most charged topics. It's one of the most sensitive topics. And there's a lot of ignorance 
right? So we don't even know what language to use. We don't know what words to use, right? I don't know, like, if I say a certain word, am I going to offend the person that I'm having a conversation with, right? Right. And then you start thinking about what are the personal uh, consequences for me, right. and I'd rather just not touch that. Sure. Right? So, yeah. so fear is a big part of that. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, I, and then I just touched upon um, the third one, which is ignorance, right? Like, mm-hmm. just the fact that, we don't know, we don't have the language, we don't have the cultural training and, and awareness to know what's, you know, what kind of questions to ask. Yeah. And so when you have all these three things working together, it just creates that major barrier. If, and, only, yeah. if only we had a Michael Scott who could lead us in diversity <laughs> training. Yeah, so he can make all of the mistakes, get the mistakes out of the way. Chad, then, you're going to get canceled. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, yeah. yeah. That's the most awkward piece of television exactly. ever Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. So knowing that, I mean, I think all those things are 100% true. And so knowing that, if there's planters or pastors listening to this, what would you say to them or how could we help them? How could they help themselves to figure out how to be able to talk about those things um, with their church? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, this was the the hardest question to prepare for mm. um, just because it, it depends so much on the person's context. Right. Yeah. But if I were to give some kind of, you know, general advice, I would say that uh, it always helps to start with listening Mm. and just having a posture of being a student and just wanting to learn. um, I think, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. No one could ever criticize that. And I think that's a wise first step to take. So just having conversations with people, Mm. um, wanting to learn, coming in humility and saying, hey, I want to serve you well and I want to love you well, but I can't do that if I don't know you, if I don't know your situation or what you're going through. So I just want to know. And I just want to be there, you know, to be a listening ear and to be a, a supporting brother. Um, and so, yeah, definitely I would stay, I would start with, you know, listening, having conversations. Um, there's a lot of great resources out there. And if any pastor is inclined, they can learn a lot just by reaching out to those resources that are, you know, um, just Google or, um, you know, through the through the networks that we have. So I would say, you know, take advantage of those those resources as well. Uh, meet with other pastors, especially pastors of you know uh, pastors of color, and and ask them what they're doing and and the things that they're grappling with in their congregations. Um, and uh, I kind of alluded to this earlier too, but I think like the more that we include each other and the more that we have collaboration. That's not just focused on race, but, you know, just doing things for the sake of doing things, doing things for the sake of relationship, you know, um, asking an African-American pastor to come and preach at your church, not not on race, but right. on anything, you know, because he's a pastor, because he loves God and because yeah. he has uh, experience and he has a unique perspective that you'd love to hear from. Uh, you know, yeah, asking an, an Asian-American pastor to, to to lead, you know, a, a workshop or to to do a missions class or something like that, you know, just because his experience is valued, not mm. just because you know you want to a check off a an item on your on your box, right? Like, right. yeah, hey, we invited a person of color to come and speak, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's that's I think a good beginning. Yeah, um, you know, one of the resources Nam has developed our 
vice president for Sin Network is Dahadi Lewis, yeah. who's who's African American guy who's planted a church in Atlanta, and he and JD Greer uh, produced a, a great resource called Undivided. And then recently they've released a second one called Undivided, more than a hashtag. Uh, so that's a resource that we have in our network uh, around race issues that I think has been an important conversation. Um, really appreciate just, you know, your willingness to come. I think, you know, I think as a white male, I do have a lot of fear that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for these conversations to to say, I, I used to work in Arkansas with the uh, art. In fact, at one point we had more uh, people of color on our staff team than white people. Oh, wow. So we were the minority. Uh-huh. We had a full-time Hispanic guy and a few African-American brothers. So that was kind of uh, an interesting dynamic, but, but a really good one. And I think it made our team absolutely better. Yeah. But what we would do often or what I would do is I'd go into my buddy, Willie Jacobs. He's in his seventies now. Uh, African-American man, uh, and I'd close the door. Mm. And, and I'd preface the conversation and say, ignorant white guy, <laughs> but can you help me with this? Right. And I would ask him. And having a friend, you know, who was willing to let you be an idiot yep. and ask your ignorant question <laughs> right. and then give you an answer with mm-hmm. kindness and teach you mm-hmm. meant the world to me. Yeah. You know? And so I think having these conversations are so valuable because – you know, does a fish know it's wet? Right. You know, right. you don't know what you don't know. Right, exactly. And I think a lot of us need, um, especially if I can speak as a, not for <laughs> the white community, <laughs> if that's even a thing, <laughs> but, but but as a white male that I just need, I need those voices right. and need to learn. And I think having these conversations is so valuable. Yeah. You know, there's that term, you know, safe spaces. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I don't like that term the way it's actually, you know, used, especially on campuses and stuff. But I do think we need safe spaces to talk about race mm-hmm. and to talk about, you know, um, sensitive issues where there's that understanding, like you said, you know, uh, we, we are all imperfect people. We are all works in progress. Mm. N- you know, none of us are infallible or, you know, uh, have the, uh, the, the answer and the solution to everything. So, yeah, let's come with that understanding that we're all trying to find the solution. We're trying to find that way to peace and mm. healing and reconciliation. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but you know, if we can help each other, you know, that's the way to do it. So mm. yeah, I'm I'm glad that you had that experience. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't. I the spirit just brought this passage to mind. It just kind of as I'm thinking about how we have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I just, yeah, I've just been, as I've thought about having these sort of racial conversations, you're right, you have to go into them with humility. And I feel like when I do go into those conversations with humility, I'm able to leave with that compassion piece at the end where I'm able to understand, like, I don't understand, but... I understand where you're coming from now in a different way. Right. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of what yeah, came to mind. Really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, Isaac. So one of the, one of the things I want to just say what I appreciate about you and your family, 
you know, you you waded into a network here in Columbus that is very Caucasian, <laughs> <laughs> and we have a heart to change that yeah. to re- better reflect our community. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, you know, I think we could plant six um, African American church. We we need six African American church yeah. planters yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the the diversity in our city w- with. Um, uh, ethnic groups and refugees and immigrants. There's a lot of needs there. We've done some work there, uh, but you you really have been uh, a, a presence in our network that we're really thankful for, uh, just because of your background, because of your perspective, and just being willing to help us be more uh, diverse and think about what that means and to have a passion to reflect our city. So I just want to say thank you for that oh, and just uh, the ways that you've helped us as a network. So, yeah, I mean, we're super grateful for Send Network and uh, yeah, God has answered a lot of our prayers through this network as well. I mean, before we uh, came in, when we were first church planting, we had no network, we had no supporters. And now we have this huge family of people that, I mean, we really are brothers you know, in Christ, uh, in more ways than one. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're really thankful for this family and yeah, hopefully we can reach the city together. We actually happen to all be wearing the same t-shirt. Right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, I looked over and I saw it. I looked over and I saw your green shirt and I was like, I wonder if he's wearing it too. <laughs> we, all, we all three have the green <laughs> network shirt on. So I just thought it was the most appropriate shirt to wear for this. So, you know, especially cause they won't see any of us, but we all felt like yeah. we had to wear it because yeah. we were recording. This, <laughs> this, is, this is hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah. So thanks so much for being on here. We appreciate it. and appreciate all the work you're doing. with yeah, Thanks for having us. I have having you guys. Thanks. Thanks for checking out today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And remember, every church is a multiplying church in the making.